This is the Cigar Snob Podcast. I'm Nick Jimenez. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we have a bit of a different sort of interview. In Old Newgate Road, novelist Keith Scribner tells the story of Cole Callahan, a Connecticut native who moved to the West Coast after violence tore his family apart. Now, Cole is back in Connecticut's tobacco country, where he's come face-to-face with the characters, landscapes, and relics of his past, including his father and his childhood home, which he'd left behind decades before. It's all set against the backdrop of tobacco fields, tobacco sheds, loaded with curing broadleaf, and the culture that has developed around the crop. So, without any uh, further ado, here is my interview with novelist Keith Scribner about his book, Old Newgate Road. I, what I, what I want to start with, you know, naturally, this being uh, Cigar Snob Magazine, our, our readership is, is going to be most intrigued, at least at the, you know, at the very beginning, by uh, where this was set um, and, and uh, where Old Newgate Road uh, takes place and the, the tobacco that you know, almost sort of like plays a, a role as, 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 a, as a character in a way mm-hmm. in the story. Um, but as uh, cigar people also, I think, tend to be interested in how you got there. How, how, so tell me a bit about, you know, what, uh, whether you have some kind of a connection to uh, tobacco or tobacco in Connecticut uh, and if not, what was it that made you so interested in, in making that sort of uh, having that play a role in, in a story that you wanted to tell? Sure. I uh, even though I live in Oregon now and teach at Oregon State University, I grew up in East Granby, Connecticut, which I assume you uh, or some of your listeners know is right there in the heart of tobacco country in Connecticut. Uh, just uh, next to Windsor and Simsbury and Enfield and Suffield. And actually, our town was, was full of uh, tobacco fields, shade tobacco fields, broadleaf tobacco fields, and of course, the sheds. The sheds are everywhere. Uh, from, right. right from our, uh, <clears throat> I grew up in an old colonial uh, house that uh, my family was restoring. And a lot of this, there's a lot of autobiography, more than any of my past novels, there's a lot of autobiography in, in this one about setting and about, um, about working on that house um, uh, as kids and as a family. And our house was surrounded by, uh, actually, it's, our actual house wasn't completely surrounded by tobacco fields, but um, it had been um, only a few decades before. And even at that time in the 70s, um, the fields right around our house had, had changed over to uh, nursery growers. And, and I know that's happening more and more in the decades since then. Um, my friends, lots and lots of my friends at that time. It was still a, a, a local kid's summer job, and that's less the case now. Um, a lot of my friends, when they turned 14, uh, worked tobacco. Uh, my uncle worked tobacco. My, my mother's family was from that area, Terraphil and Simsbury. Um, he worked tobacco. He was very, uh, he got very excited about doing uh, the research with me, and we traveled sure. around together some years ago. Um, and I actually worked uh, on a on a truck farm nearby, picking vegetables and cucumbers and squash, and uh, um, uh, and so actually never worked tobacco. But it was so much in in my childhood. It was so much a part of kind of the, the given landscape, the the seasons of tobacco, seeing the um, the seeds go in or seeing the plants go in. 
um, uh, seeing the nets go up every year and then um, and then watching the tobacco grow um, those I'm sure you know those uh, the buses they they're the, the school buses that look like um, they're painted the cover color of coffee with lots of cream in it and sure, those yeah. those were everywhere um, there were some big uh, dormitories uh, that were f- filled with uh, migrant workers um, in, in East Granby. Um, and so that was sort of, again, just sort of very much part of the part of the landscape. And as kids, of course, you know, if you're looking to um, looking to hide out or do something secret or get yourself into trouble, it was. It was tobacco fields and tobacco sheds where we did that. Yeah, and so, um, so yeah, I just I sort of took it for granted, and then, um, and then I've I've lived out here on the West Coast for some time, first California and now Oregon, and have been so surprised that uh, so many people don't know um, that uh, by some accounts the best cigar wrappers in the world are grown in Connecticut, have been for mm-hmm. over a hundred years, and even people. Um, from the area, from the Hartford area, who who would say things like, "Yeah, I saw those, I saw those fields with those those nets. Um, I saw those barns. Never never knew what they were, <laughs> and yeah, and it just yeah. surprised me. So part of it was thinking, "Wow, this is um, with this novel, uh, Old Newgate Road." Part of it was, uh, "Here's this, I don't know. Here's for me what um, is is." Um, uh, sort of a, a big part of New England um, culture and the New England landscape, and um, and isn't it interesting that so many people don't know about it? So that was one cool reason for me to um, set a novel there. Um, also, the novel is the novel is a, is about time and going um, going. Uh, um, the Cole Callahan, who's a who's a builder and an architect um, and a woodworker in Portland, um, goes back to Connecticut. Um, for the first time in 30 years, um, his, uh, his his family was basically shattered um, in this house, and he fled Connecticut, and he goes back to the place. And when he gets there, the house is still in the same half-restored state it was um, all those years ago. And and as he looks around the house, and of course it's it's not completely the case. I took plenty of liberties. Um, uh, uh, in in writing the novel, but as he looks around, it almost as if as if time has stood still, as if his past is has been sitting there waiting for him, and right. and um, the the you know I don't know which came first, and you know it's a long evolution as as you sort of think about the pieces of a novel, but the but the cigar tobacco growing in Connecticut was the ended up being the perfect setting for that because the technology. Hasn't nothing has changed in the cigar, right. it, 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 you know, in 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 a, in several generations. Uh, uh, the 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 sewing machines that they use, and and I visit. I had a really great um, uh, research trip uh, to some fields, and and as I was starting uh, to write this novel some years ago. And um, the sewing machines are the same ones that I used to see when, I mean, absolutely the same ones that I used to see when I was a kid. And then my uncle said, those are the same ones. <laughs> you know, my uncle who's in his 80s, right? <laughs> those are the same ones I saw when I was a kid. And so very quickly that sort of thing comes into the novel where um, uh, 
uh, Cole um, and whose son, who he his fifteen year old son, who he brings from Portland with him. His son has gotten into some trouble in Portland, and his father all living in this same house uh, together, the house he grew up in, and they all worked tobacco and they all worked in the same sheds, the same fields, the same machines, the same technology, and so that that idea in the novel of the. Um, there's something I'm exploring probably in most of my novels, but, but um, more explicitly in this one, that the past uh, lives with us in the present, and we can't deny that. Uh, and um, uh, to, have, um, to have the setting be um, the, the tobacco industry in Connecticut where the past and the present are so one, there, there's, there is no... There is no big distinction between 30 years ago and now in that industry, right. um, except that it's except that it's um, a little bit smaller, except that it's shrinking. Um, but sure, con- sure. but continues to be as um, um, uh, as I'm sure you know. I, I, and there's a uh, you know 2007 a New York Times article um, um, uh, where I read that um, it uh, at at that time anyway it was the biggest agricultural export um, for the state of Connecticut. Uh, was was uh, tobacco? Yeah, well, and especially Connecticut's tobacco, right? Because even uh, whatever it maybe doesn't uh, achieve in in volume, it's a it's a super premium tobacco, which I think people also it's it's easy to it's it's easy to not be aware of that if you haven't either lived in the area or or you know uh, exposed yourself to a lot of that market. You know, it's an agricultural product, but it's very much a luxury good. I mean, some of that mm-hmm. tobacco can sell for. Uh, you know, as much as like, I don't know, artisan cheeses or something, you know, decades mm-hmm. old cheeses sell for about what Connecticut wrapper can sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, and right. And per acre compared to say something like dairy farming per acre, the, um, the revenue is enormous. And, right, um, right. and it's very labor intensive, of course, because there's no, because <laughs> there's no technology. Right. Um, right. So it's still using those very labor intensive uh, uh, ways of producing it. Um, but that's right. Per acre, it's um, it's there's just 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 enormous uh, revenues. And by the way, you have a hard. I mean, I have a very hard time um, convincing people um, who I'm just speaking to casually about these things that yes, in fact, Connecticut Shade um, is some people think the best rapper in the world, and uh, yeah. everyone insists that no, it must be Cuba or. Um, Indonesia or our Dominican Republic or or they'll say North Carolina um, and um, so anyway so that aspect of it is is kind of fun too to to, to write about right. that yeah so so it's uh, in in hearing you talk about uh, I mean a lot of the things that you've said so far you know the everything from uh, you know the aspects of the story you know of, of Cole returning to uh, uh, his home in Connecticut that he hasn't been to in in decades and uh, in your experience, sort of feeling like you're, you know, uh, educating people on on this aspect of, of of your background and this thing that you have a connection to, uh, it, it's uh, I, I sort of you know go into these things wanting to resist, but being Cuban, it's difficult, you know, especially when you're throwing me all these softballs, not to point to all these parallels <laughs> with the Cuban experience mm-hmm. of, you know, and and even as I was reading through the book, you know, the the fact that tobacco is sort of a, a part of the backdrop here. Uh, brought to my mind all these things about oh well this is you know this is a story that so much of the cigar world even people who aren't cuban because they're exposed to these stories so much would would connect with because it's about somebody who's left a place over a trauma and returned 
to find all of these things exactly as he'd left them and to be surprised by his emotional responses to these things that he knew were coming. And it, it, it you could almost swap out Connecticut for Cuba and Cole for Carlos. <laughs> and, that's terrific. And you'd, <laughs> uh, and you'd have a story that's sort of been told so many times, but it was mm-hmm. fascinating to me to, to see it told, you know, through this, this Connecticut lens. Um, and you, I think it given is, your, Oh, I yeah, was just going to say on. just quickly, I think it is. Um, and I think it is a told a story that's been told so many times, but one of the reasons is that um, I think, I think, we just we continue to want to resist, and perhaps people will always to continue continue to resist the the truth that when you leave sure. trauma behind, it stay it stays right there, and when um, and it's just waiting to either catch up with you or for you to come back and return to it, and um, and so I think I, I really like how you how you you know how you. Uh, express that 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 um, that that trauma is everything is sitting there unchanged and waiting for him just like it was when he fled it. Right, right. Um, so in in the course of uh, of researching and writing it uh, again, sort of bringing it back, you know, putting myself in the place of like, oh, this is something that you know uh, that I think Cubans and people who've been exposed to these Cuban stories uh, could relate to so deeply. I think another thing that I, that I'm, I know uh, just in in daily life, uh, Cubans uh, have a hard time doing is resisting the urge to constantly be teaching people about Cuba. Uh, did, was <laughs> was there any of that where you felt like you know, you sort of had to stop yourself from you know uh, uh, you know wanting to to teach people a thing about something that was so close to you and and that you knew they didn't know about. Uh, yeah, I imagine that in in the course of 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 telling this story, uh, there's there's got to be like a little bit of that tugging on you, like oh, but I want people to know this thing, even if it doesn't really serve the <laughs> the story that I'm yeah. trying to tell. So I think that's always an issue in writing any kind of novel, and then a novel that involves research, um, a, a historical novel for sure. Um, that's always those these are always lines that we're walking. I think some readers will think um, there's not enough tobacco stuff in here I think other readers will think there's too much and I, I, I know and I hope that sure. for me I hope I found the right balance um, there was a time around um, four or five years ago when I think I knew so much about tobacco I could have started my own farm quite easily and uh, and and of course the temptation is to put all of that stuff in but uh, but it has to, but you know I think what happens is I put Typically, what I do is I put more in than I need, and then I t- tend to pull it out. And I sure. and so I hope that the um, um, I hope that the, sort of the the depth of the tobacco setting um, resonates without a lot without saying how many you know that a how many uh, plants are in a bent, for example, right? I hope that sure. you know. So I hope that 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 stuff stays in there. So were you a cigar smoker uh, before this project? Not only as only a very casual one. So no. Okay. And, uh, um, and however, I've always, you know, again, it was always part of part of the atmosphere in which I lived. And, um, and I've always and continue to really uh, love the smell of a good cigar, either burning or not. Um, and, uh, and then of course, in the writing of this novel, I've, I've had so many people actually try to, um, teach, you know, as if, you know, as if they're teaching me about wine, teach me, um, teach me more and more about cigars. 
Sure, sure. And so over the over the course of, of learning all that about cigars, has, has your relationship to cigars changed at all or no? Um, I think that uh, I wouldn't say no. So I'm not smoking them more than I was, um, okay. but I'm I'm interested in them and I'm curious about them. And I uh, the last uh, my last novel um, uh, involves uh, one of the characters uh, makes uh, she has a genius nose and she makes perfume. And uh, and before that, I was never um, particularly interested in perfume or cared much about perfume. And and just like with the cigars, I got so interested in all how they're put together and the high notes, the, the uh, middle notes and the low notes. And now right. just still I still don't wear um, a fragrance myself, but I but I I remain intensely interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. So is this something that you imagine yourself uh, coming back to the uh these stories set against the backdrop of, of Connecticut and tobacco? It's a great question, and I think that if I... Um, so my next novel is uh, probably not set in Connecticut, but it was, frankly, it was so much fun and also a... a, a uh, what is it? A, a kind of... I don't know what I have to say, but a kind of growing experience for me to write such an autobiographical novel and to explore my own experience and my own childhood so closely. Uh, so I, I do imagine that I will write another novel with a, um, uh, with some similar material. And if it's in Connecticut, it will surely involve, uh, uh, tobacco. And because it's, when I think of that place, that's, you know, if I list the five things I think of, um, that's on the, that's on the list. Right, right. Were, um, were there things, um, about Connecticut and about, the tobacco world there that you think maybe just didn't come through uh, or or maybe just were difficult in you know in 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 writing to to convey to somebody who'd never been exposed to it you know I, I think that maybe for example um, those smells and those colors which I think you did a brilliant job of of mm. you know uh, of putting in people's heads. Um, but I, I guess I wonder what kind of feedback you've gotten from other people because I am also reading this, uh, you know, as somebody who has been in dozens of, of different types of tobacco farms and tobacco mm-hmm. barns and all that stuff. So I, I wonder whether you've gotten feedback on that or anything else from people who uh, had just never been exposed at all and what their experience of it was. Uh, one of the things that really drew me to it and that I haven't mentioned yet is those smells and why I thought this is such a rich um, this is such a rich setting for a novel because so much when I when I was doing the research that day um, uh, so much I was with a uh, a leaf buyer and a farm manager who I spent the day with and they were really generous and um, we were in sheds we were in I was I picked we were they were doing the third priming I think at that time and they let me pick leaves which I thought I thought the, the val- they're actually letting me do it, the value of each leaf I mean yeah. as you know the um, they pamper you know it, it's right there's so much pampering that goes on um, in, yeah. in, in in and there has to be because the slightest um, right as you know the slightest blemish um, can uh, reduce or even destroy the value of a leaf and um, so they're really generous about that stuff but I just loved how they talked about um, you know oh in in a shed where broadleaf is drying versus a shed where 
um, Connecticut shade is drying. Um, the, the one the one smell is is perhaps a little more hay like. Um, when we know something's gone wrong, there's a kind of ammonia or vegetative smell, and that that sort of um, uh, um, that sort of I guess sensory relationship to their work and what they're doing. Um, I think most people would not know about and would not appreciate that. And, um, and that's something that I think was in, um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the smells actually, but that's something, that is one of the things that was in the book more, I think. And I cut it out, I guess, anticipating that um, some readers might think that um, I've gone overboard uh, with the details. Sure, sure. Yeah, and it is it, it is a difficult thing to describe. You know, I, I've been um, in enough uh, factories and and uh, tobacco barns, which I, I guess in Connecticut, I you know, or sheds, um, with with people who are walking into them for the first time, uh, and maybe have had people describe them to them, you know, ad nauseum, and and it, it, you can see it on their faces. They don't. It, nobody expects what those smells are until mm-hmm. they're enveloped in them yeah um, and it's it's magical i was the the sheds i was in you know were about half loaded at that time of year and they had the um the the heaters going and there's a kind of right the vents are open it's very quiet in there and it's it's kind yeah. of solemn and the temperature is high as i recall it's 86 degrees um is ideal for the temperature and then 76 percent humidity um, that may not mm-hmm. be right. I think that's right. And um, and it's uh, it's a little, yeah, it's a little bit solemn and sacred and beautiful. And everyone is a little anxious, too, I think, um, because things because something could go wrong. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, so and I love that. Um, I, I loved I was really um, impressed with that, that feeling and the, the, the seriousness of that. I. Um, I thought it was beautiful. Another one of the big su- surprises for me in the research um, is maybe something that, that you know all about. I always had thought my mother and my grandmother who had told me this was true. They, my mother grew up part of her child in Terrafield and Simsbury. And, uh, and they had already told, always told me that Martin Luther King came um, to Simsbury in uh, the 40s during, during the Second World War. Um, along with other students from Morehouse College to pick tobacco. And I had actually never believed it. I had always thought that it was some made-up legend that um, my mother yeah. was passing along. And then in my research, I discovered it's absolutely true. There's pictures of him. Um, and, oh, wow. Um, so he came in, I think, 1944 with some other students um, for, I believe, only one season. It might have been two, though. Um, and because of a shortage of local labor because of the war, they were, they were hiring students from the South. And um, and he writes about it, and it's fascinating. He writes about, um, um, you know, he writes a lot about um, civil rights and about um, uh, the freedoms he felt in Connecticut. That um, and and he, I think he says it, um, he went back uh, to the South with a bitter heart or something like that because because um, he knew he was leaving those freedoms behind. And he, they saw movies in Eno Memorial Hall uh, in in Simsbury, and uh, so I I thought that was uh, fantastic. And I do mention that um, um, in the novel because I th- I think it's such a you know another one of these just really great historical cultural um, details that of course most people don't know. 
Absolutely. And uh, you know, kind of going back to what you uh, said earlier about how just anything could go wrong, you know, I, I don't know whether this was on your mind or not, but again, I think especially, you know, uh, our audience like me, knowing what that process is like and knowing how much of that pampering happens and, and why the pampering is happening, I think it sort of uh, it, it added to it sort of creates this under um, uh, this sort of baseline tension for the whole thing because everything is happening against the backdrop of something that especially if you know it well, you're aware that like one moment to the next, everything could go up in flames or if mm -hmm. you don't pay, you know, if you don't pay attention to the process, you know, you could go from, uh, you, you could cure it wrong. And, and I, I, that was another thing that I, that I was struck by was, you know, the, uh, that you, that you do call out, you know, the, the fact that, you know, it's not just that this fire happened on a farm. It's that, it's that this, you know, what to an outside, you know, uninitiated observer might look like a shitty wooden barn actually contains hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and it, to, to me, it sort of served to establish this, you know, the, this kind of quiet tension through the whole thing um, that, that you come out and acknowledge it. And, you know, certainly, again, certainly for a reader who already knows that going in about that world and that product. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, I I thought it was a, a you know, I, I I thought it was a brilliant uh, incorporation of tobacco in the tobacco world, and and I'm really excited for um, for for listeners and readers because I'm sure we'll we'll run some version of this in print uh, to to pick up the book. Um, when is the uh, when is the actual release of the book, and and are there places that people should go online if they want to learn more or track a book tour or anything like that? Yeah, it's the release date is January 9th, and uh, I'm giving readings on, uh, I'm doing the whole West Coast, so um, or the whole West Coast, I'm doing um, uh, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and L.A., and um, and then most otherwise mostly in the north in the northeast and, and quite a few readings in Connecticut. Some of them are bookstores and some of them are um, at uh, libraries and uh, the Historical Society actually in East Granby, along with the public library, is sponsoring a reading, which I think is really terrific. And, um, and I'm really excited to go back there. And that's had a, that's had another whole level of this sort of this going back thing, because now that the book is beginning to get uh, publicized a little, um, I'm, of course, you know, middle school friends are pouring out of the woodwork and I'm hearing um, <laughs> and it's really exciting. It's actually really exciting to hear from, yeah. you know, to hear from uh, middle to hear from middle school friends. It's it's fantastic. So um, I wonder whether you I wonder whether you'll be getting all those questions about, you know, is this guy supposed to be me? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, so anyway, so so that those are the, the readings I have planned. It's it's um, it should be available pretty much everywhere if, if a local bookstore uh, does, since it's published by Knopf, which is Random House. It's you know, any anyone can get it so people can buy it online and people can um by uh, um, can uh, get it from a local bookstore, and if they don't have it, the bookstore can we should be able to order it very easily and quickly. Um, it's going to be uh, uh, at first hardcover, and then um, uh, an audio book as well, which I haven't heard yet, but I know um, I know the uh, the voice of the person who's doing it, and and I think he's he's really just right for it. So I'm excited about about that, and then it'll of course be an ebook too. Great, great. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, I don't know what uh, what it takes to make this happen, but hopefully uh, there will be, 
events added in in Florida. I know, especially in Miami and Tampa, there are lots of people who I'm sure would would connect very deeply with the story. Oh, that um, would be terrific. I love. It. I will. So, um, I will. Uh, I will speak to Abby about that. Yeah, no. That and if there's anything that we can do, uh, you know, by by all means, you know, we're we're here to to help in any way we can because uh, because again, I, I think that you know it's it's not often that we get to uh, you know find this sort of an intersection of you know of art and cigars and certainly mm-hmm. in a, especially in a way that doesn't come off as hokey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so so this is uh, this was very exciting for us and and you know we we'd love to do anything we can to to expose more people to it and, and I think uh, I think a lot of people will be excited about it oh I'm so pleased to hear that thank you all right well thank you very much for for the time and I appreciate it all right well thank you thanks to Keith for taking the time to do that interview and thanks to you for listening to the cigar snob podcast as always subscribe to the cigar snob podcast on stitcher SoundCloud Google Play music or Apple podcasts you can also find episodes of the podcast at cigarsnobmag.com slash podcast. Make sure that you also go to that shop tab. You can subscribe to the print magazine where we have uh, actually sort of an abridged version of this interview appearing in, uh, in the issue that is on newsstands now. And um, yeah, rate and review us while you're there. Thumbs up. Don't thumbs down. Don't do the one star. Leave all the stars. Uh, that's it. Send any feedback to feedback at cigarsnobmag.com. Thanks.